All right. Well, I'd like to begin by asking you a question this morning, and it is not on your sermon notes, so you may want to fill it out. And the question is simply this. Have you ever prayed or gone in a direction that you thought was God's will for your life, and it just hasn't happened yet? Have you ever prayed or gone in a direction? You had a plan, you just knew what you felt like God was calling you to do, and it was nothing it was nothing self-promoting. It was nothing, it wasn't a bad desire. And yet it just hasn't happened yet. What do we do when God says no? What do we do? I want to tell you this morning that there are three ways that God answers prayer. But I, this may blow your minds and then again you may know this. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. I don't care what Garth Brooks says. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. God always answers in one of three ways. The first is he says yes. I love it when God says yes. Man, don't you love it when God says yes? When you pray about something, you say, God, I just, I pray that this would happen. I pray that, and then you turn around and all of a sudden, there it is. God said yes. Yes may mean that we get the promotion. Yes may mean that we get the girl. Maybe you pray about little stuff. You go to the pottery and you're pulling up and it is crowded. You say, God, I pray I could find a good parking spot. And you pull in and somebody's pulling right out. Yes is awesome. I love yes. Then the second thing, God says yes, but then sometimes God says, wait. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't like this one as good. I don't think you do either. Our culture isn't, our culture isn't set up for this. This is what's called delayed gratification. Now, we don't do that very well in America, do we? The other day, I bought, uh, I bought a frozen lasagna. You've seen them in the frozen food. I, I figured there's going to be some point when Nicole's not home, and I'm going to be hungry. And I'm going to need something to eat. And sure enough, that happened. And so I went to the freezer, got it. I said, man, this will be perfect. I'll eat my frozen lasagna. I pull it out. It says, put it in the oven for an hour. When I go to the freezer, I'm ready to eat like right then, right? We go stick something in the microwave. If it's more than a hot pocket and takes more than three minutes, man, we're like, what am I going to do? I got all this time, right? <laughs> Our culture isn't built for delayed gratification. We don't like that. But here's what I know. I call it the rearview mirror of life. Like you're driving down the road and you look in the rearview mirror, you look at all the things that have happened in the past, all the opportunities and all the situations and circumstances. Oftentimes, when I look in the rearview mirror of life, I'm like, man, God, you are so good. You said wait, and now I can see why you said wait. It makes sense now, but oftentimes it doesn't feel good. It doesn't make sense when we're in that situation. I think about when I turned 18, I started praying, God, I want to find Miss Wright. 
I just want to meet a good godly girl. I want to go ahead and settle down. I want to. And it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And I was frustrated. I was like, God, what are you doing? Why is this taking so long? Now I look back and I think, what would I have done if I would have met Nicole when I was 18? I was so immature and selfish, and I was such a ding-dong when I was 18. (laughs) She wouldn't still be with me if we'd have met when I was 18. But God, in his grace, allowed allowed me to wait. He told me, he said, wait, wait, wait. And when I was 23 or 24, God brought her to me. And I see now, looking in the rearview mirror of life, oh man, I am so glad God said to wait. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning. That kind of reminds me of praying for patience. And uh, I'm not, since I guess I'm in the pulpit, I'm not going to tell you not to pray for patience. But let me just tell you, if you pray for patience, the way God's going to answer that is by giving you situations that cause you to have to be patient. I don't like that. So there there are two things that we've gone over. God says yes. God says wait. And then the third thing that God says is sometimes God says no. And I'll be honest, as Christians, we don't like to consider this one, do we? We think, if I have enough faith, or if I do enough good things, or if I wait long enough, God's going God's to always open the door. God's going to always say yes. God's going to always give me what I want. But God never promised that. God never promised that he would give us 24-7 comfort. God never promised that he would always say yes. In fact, here's what I know. There are definitely going to be times in your life that you're going to pray about something, that you're going to hope for something, you're going to wish for something, and God's going to say no. Never forget, I graduated from college, and uh, I was looking for a full-time job in ministry. I just felt... I felt like God had called me into ministry. I knew God had called me into ministry, and I wanted to do ministry in a church. And so I began to just talk to everybody I know. I was knocking on Pastor Farrell's door all the time. I was putting my resume out. I was putting applications out. And nothing. I mean nothing. No callbacks, no anything. Because Although I had a four-year degree, I didn't have any experience. I was young. I was not exactly what all these churches were looking for. And so I just kept doing the only thing I knew how to do. I kept praying, kept hoping, kept staying positive, and kept putting out resumes and applications. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'll never forget it. I was in the pool. I got a voicemail, went over to it, listened to it, and this church called me and they wanted an interview. Oh man, I was so ecstatic. I was like, this is awesome. God's opening the door. So I went and did the interview the next day and it just went so smooth. I was so excited and I sat down with the pastor and the associate pastor. It went great. Had such a good feeling about it. Went home and I was praying. I said, God, 
you are in control. You're the one that's going to have to do this. I'm not. And so just praying and fasting. And they told me at the interview, they said, now, if we call you back and we bring you in for another interview, there's going to be two rounds of interviews. If you make it to the second round, there's only going to be three people that will make it to the second round. Sure enough, they called me in for the second round of interviews. And at that point, I just knew. I said, God, you know what? This is it. Those other guys can come and interview, but this is my job. Because you are opening this door for me. God, you've got my back. If you'd have opened all these other doors, if I would have gotten all these other callbacks, I don't know which way I would have gone. But you opened one door, and you're making it super easy for me. And so I prayed, and I went into that interview. It went great. Fast forward about a week later, I get a letter in the mail, and it says, we regret to inform you, blah, 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 blah. I was hurt. I thought, why would a God who loves me, a God who cares about me, a God who called me into ministry, a God who I know placed this desire and this calling on my, why would a God who loves me say no to a good desire? It wasn't like I was asking God to make me a millionaire or help me win the lottery or do something wrong. I was asking God, God, I pray that you would open this door. And yet, God said no. So i got a question. Is that worth a few minutes of our time this morning? Is that worth us diving into a little bit this morning? All right. Thank all three of you. I know how Pastor Farrell feels now. So here's what I do. Whenever I'm faced with a situation like that, I think, has anybody in the Bible ever gone through anything like this? Because, see, I'll be honest. For me, I've been in church so long, I just know all the stories in the Bible. I know about Noah and Moses. And, and then, so it's easy for me to put them in this framework or in this box. But the people in the Bible dealt with the same emotions that we deal with today. And so although we, life is so much different with technology and with all the things we have available... They dealt with anger and jealousy and excitement and all the things we deal with today. And so I thought, is there anywhere in the Bible that God ever told somebody no? And so I want us to kind of dive in right there in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along with me in the notes. It says, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies, around him. Now let me just give you some backstory on this passage. The king that he is referred to here is King David. And it's the same David from David and Goliath. It's the same David uh, from who was a shepherd boy out in the pasture watching, watching his father's sheep. See, sometimes in the Bible we have to be careful, okay, which James is this or which Joseph or whatever. As a matter of fact, one time a little kid came up to me after kids' church, and she said, Pastor Andrew, I know that story that you told today wasn't true. I, I know it. I didn't want to tell all the other kids. And I thought, what is she talking about? 
And I was trying to remember like which part of it wouldn't be true or what did I say that seemed outlandish. And there was just, I couldn't think of anything. So I, I said, sweetheart, what are you talking about? She said, I know that story about Peter was not real. My mama told me that, there's no, that Peter Pan is not real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the king that we're talking about here, though, is King David. And let me just give you some backstory. Many of you probably know this, but for those of you who don't, David was a shepherd boy, and he was out in the pasture one day watching his father's sheep. And being a shepherd meant that you were the protector, that if anything came against these sheep or anything tried to hurt these sheep, you had to step up and you had to come to the rescue. And so one day there was a lion that came into the pasture. Now, I'm just going to tell you, at that point, there are two reactions that you can have. You can do what David did, or you can do what Andrew would have done. David stayed and fought that lion with his bare hands. Let me just tell you what Andrew would have done. Okay? I would have seen that lion coming, and I would have said... Good, he's got some distractions here. Ah! Dad, the sheep are gone, but I'm okay. Don't know how his dad would have felt about that. I'd have been okay with it. But that day, the Bible says that David fought that lion with his bare hands. David killed that lion. And I believe right there in that pasture, God put in David the heart of a warrior. The heart of a brave, fighting man. And so then we fast forward a little bit, and we see David comes to deliver supplies to his brothers who were out at battle. His brothers were soldiers. And he sees in this valley this giant, this huge Philistine. And he says, man, what are you guys doing letting this guy, letting this giant mock God? What are you doing letting him curse the name of God? And they said, well, we're all too scared to fight. The Bible says that David was a young man, that he was young and ruddy in appearance. That means he was kind of had his peach fuzz. He just wasn't, he wasn't a full-grown man yet. But the Bible says that David fought that lion that day. I mean, fought that giant that day. And he beat him and he killed him. And so God used that heart of a warrior as David took the kingship, as David took the throne of Israel, David fought nation after nation. David fought people group after people group. And see, Israel had begun because there was no strong military presence. People would take little chunks of Israel and a little chunk here and a little chunk there. And they would fight these battles. And all of a sudden, Israel was losing ground. And David came through and he said, man, that's not going to happen. And David began to take back those areas of Israel that had been uh, captured by the enemy. And David secured the borders of the nation of Israel. And David made Israel a strong military nation again. And so when we catch up to David in, verse, in chapter 7, it says that after the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest. From all of his enemies, that David had done his fighting, that David has done his, uh, his battles. As a matter of fact, the next chapter over is chapter 8. 
and it talks about some more battles that David was in. But we actually think, biblical scholars think that those battles happened before and that chapter 7 came later. And so David is secure on his throne. He's got rest from all his enemies. Life is good. And so going down to verse 2, David said to the prophet Nathan, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now, a couple things right here. David's in his palace, and David looks around one day, and he's like, man, look at this huge palace. Look, it's beautiful. It's so opulent and ornate, and I have room after room after room of just everything you could desire. And I believe David took Nathan over to a window. And he said, but look, there's the ark of God. Here I am living in luxury, and the ark of God is in a tent. And God is the one who put me on this throne. God is the nation of Israel. God is the real king. What in the world am I thinking? I'm going to build God a beautiful temple. And so Nathan, he asked Nathan because Nathan is the prophet. In that point in time, it was important that you get the prophet to sign off on it. Because Nathan could talk to God and God could tell Nathan yes or no. And if Nathan signed off on it, then God signed off on it. So David checks with Nathan. He says, Nathan, you good? Nathan says, man, go ahead and do it. But then, in verse 4, it says, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? So Nathan goes home that night, and he reconsiders. Actually, God reconsiders for him. God says, He's not the one to do this for me. And then in verse 6, it says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving around from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So that night, God talks to Nathan. Nathan goes and reconsiders, and he says, Hey, David, great dream. Hey, man, what you want to do for God? Awesome. Great dream. Wrong guy. Great plan, but it's not God's plan. Now, I'll be honest, I don't like that. I don't like it when my plan isn't God's plan. I'll tell you what I do. If you've ever seen me walking around the church, most of the time you see me with a notebook because I'm a planned out kind of a guy. And I write stuff down, and then I check it off as I do it. And then sometimes, this is how messed up I am, sometimes I do stuff that's not on the list, and then I write it down just so I can cross it out. Are any of you list people? Do you need a list? 
A couple of you? Okay. So I'm messed up. All right. And, and here's the other thing I do on my day off. We have a, a whiteboard that's on our refrigerator. And I'll go over there and I'll list out everything I want to do that day. And then I'll cross it off on my day off. I know I need help. I need help. But I just like to be able to get down to the end of the day and look and see how productive I've been or look and see all the things I've done that day. It just helps me. It helps me feel like I didn't waste the day. But God said, hey, man, David, you desire a good thing, but that's not my plan. We actually see in another part of Scripture that the Bible says that God, God said of David that he has too much blood on his hands. So the very reason that God was able to use him as king, the very thing that God used through David, prevented him from doing this thing that he wanted to do. So God told, Nathan, God told David, no. Now what do we think about, just naturally, what's our first reaction when somebody tells us no? We don't like it. We don't like it at all. It brings back feelings of, of being on the uh, playground in elementary school, right? And everybody's standing against the fence. You're getting ready to play kickball, and there's an odd number of kids. That means somebody is going to have to sit out. And you know who the captains are going to be. The captains are like the two most freakishly athletic fifth graders in school. They've got facial hair and abs and so they're the captains it's not even a question of am I going to get to be a captain so you're standing against the fence and first one name and then the next name and then the next name and as the numbers get smaller you realize it's probably not going to be me it's tough I mean I heard it's tough I heard it's real tough. A friend told me. When we hear no, it's tough not to feel rejected, isn't it? It's tough not to feel like, well, man, that's personal. Why didn't God want me to do this? Why didn't God allow? I've been praying. This is a good thing. Why wouldn't God say yes? And so Satan would have us to believe. Satan gets in our minds sometimes, and he gets us thinking crazy, or our flesh does, really. And we think, man, nobody, God hadn't ever done this to anybody else before. I must be the worst sinner known to man. Why would God tell me no on a good thing? Let me tell you, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this, okay? Get your notes ready, all right? When God says no, when God says no, it's not a rejection, that's how we feel oftentimes, isn't it? Like God doesn't love me or God doesn't. When God says no, it's not a rejection. It is a redirection. I want to let that just soak in for a minute this morning. Because if we would begin to think like this, if we would begin to think, God, okay, you said no. Okay, you said, no, I sh I'm not going to sell this house. I've been wanting to sell this house, and the loan on the new house didn't come through. If we would begin to think, God, okay, it's not because you don't love me. It's not because I'm not living right. It's not because I don't have enough faith. 
What is it? It's not because you're rejecting me. It's because you're redirecting me. Who is it in this neighborhood that I can be a blessing to? Which neighbor needs Jesus? Which neighbor needs my influence? Why are you trying to keep me in this place? See, if we begin to think like that, it is so liberating. Because now, I'll tell you what it does. It battles that entitlement mindset. I deserve this. I've been praying for this. I've been wanting this. God, where are you at? See, because oftentimes what we see as a setback, God sees as a setup. And we're like, oh, man, God, we didn't sell the house. I'm so mad. And God's like, man, you have the opportunity to reach this neighbor right here. See how that begins to change our mindset? So the next time God tells you no, it's for me too, Andrew. The next time God tells you no, I want you to begin to look around for what God is doing in your life. How he's positioning you to be a blessing right where you are. Now I want to tell you what helps me. When I look in Acts chapter 16 and I see Paul He's got some traveling companions with him, and they just know that they want to go to Bithynia. They've got their heart and their mindset on Bithynia. And God comes to them, and the language in the King James Version is that the Holy Spirit forbid them. God didn't say, nah, Paul, I don't think that's a good idea, or Paul, you really shouldn't go this way. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbid them. He didn't give them a reason. He didn't answer to them. He just said no. And I look at Paul, and if God told Paul no, Paul, who was the greatest missionary to ever live, Paul, who wrote most of the books of the New Testament, Paul, who God loved so much and who did so much in the early church, if God told Paul no, Paul, God will definitely tell Andrew Price no. And then I look at David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I would love for God to say that about me. I would love for God to see my private disciplines and my my life out of the spotlight and for God to look at me and say, that's a man after my own heart. And God said that of David. But you know what we see right here? God told both of those guys no. And so if God would tell them no, then God's definitely going to tell us no from time to time. So let's look back and and in verse 8 and read on. It says, Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you in the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you Wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. God doesn't hate David. God's not rejecting David. We see right here, God is affirming David. God says, man, David, you're a great leader. Then go down to verse 12. It says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors... I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. 
your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God's intention all along, as we see very clearly right here, was that David's son Solomon would build the temple. God had used David for what he needed David for. Israel was safe. The borders were secure. Israel was now a safe place to live. It wasn't military campaign after military campaign anymore. And so here's what I love about David. David could have done like many of us do. I'll just use me as an example. God says no. We're mad. We ain't talking to God no more. We ain't coming to church. If God can't do what I want him to do, if he can't help me, I'm, I, I ain't got no use for him. But the Bible says that David had a far different reaction. David knew that when God told him, no, you're not supposed to build the temple, that it was not a rejection. David knew that it was a redirection. And so let's look at what David did with the rest of his life. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, beginning in verse 2. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel, and from among them he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make the nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and make more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted for the Sidonians and Tyrrhenians had brought large numbers of them to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before he died. David spent the rest of his life setting his son up for success. So as soon as he turned the throne over, all Solomon had to do was say, all right, boys, get to it. And the guys were already there in, in modern terms. The contractors were already on site. The building materials were already there. Everything was ready to go. All Solomon had to do was give the word. And it wasn't because Solomon was a master engineer, and it wasn't because Solomon was this great builder. It was because David knew how to handle no. My prayer is that I would get better at learning how to handle no. Because, man, I don't handle it this well. I don't do this well. When God says no, when God says, that's not really my plan for you, that's not really what I want you to do, I don't handle it this well. So let me just say in closing this morning, that means something today. That means something, I promise. Miss Millie, you do not tell Pastor Farrell all this stuff I'm talking. 
Here's what we know. We've been to Walmart, haven't we? And we've seen children that have never, ever, ever been told no. If you're like, no, nah, I don't think I've ever. It's your kids then. It's yours. All the rest of us are thinking, kid, good gracious. Look, we all know this. If you're a parent or if you, if you serve in children's ministry, you know that any father who loves his child is going to say no. Any father that loves his child is going to say no from time to time. And it's not because that dad hates that kid or doesn't like that kid or that kid's... It's because that kid needs guidance. That, kid's, that kid needs direction. I can't tell you the number of times I thought I was a big boy and I could go get the mail and the mailbox was across the road and I would get back home and I would think, my parents aren't looking, I'm just going to dart out. And I would get back in the house and I would get my tail tore up because I didn't look both ways. Didn't look both ways. And my parents told me and told me and told me. And finally they said, you can't go get the mail anymore. You won't listen. So we know that any father who loves his child is going to say no. In the same way, our heavenly father who loves us and cares about us more than we even understand or could comprehend is going to say no from time to time. And it's not because he doesn't like us. It's not because we're sinful or disobedient. Sometimes that might be the case. But it's not because he hates us or is trying to reject us. Sometimes God says no for our own good and because he wants to redirect us. So here's my prayer. Is that for each and every one of us when God closes a door of opportunity that we're really looking forward to or something that we really want to do. My prayer is that we would look around and say, God, what are you doing now? I think about the story that I was telling earlier about me praying and trying to get on at this church. Went for the first interview, went for the second interview, got told no. At the time, I was devastated. I thought, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? How can this be a good thing? And see, it's okay if we get sad or mad or however you react. It's okay if we go through those things as long as we don't stay there. And I went through all those things and probably stayed longer than I should have. But I think about right now, looking in the rearview mirror of my life, if I had gone to that church, I wouldn't be here today. And so if I could go back, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have slammed that door shut because this was my heart, heart's desire the whole time. This was where I wanted to be, and God knew that telling him no right now means a better yes later. And for many of you, that is the situation you are in this morning. A no right now does not mean God has forsaken you. A no right now means that there is a better yes coming. 